This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I want us this morning to carry on with what I started with two weeks ago. And last week, Yaku spoke just so beautifully about being in awe and wonder of God. Just Him being the one thing, the only thing that our, our hearts desire. I want us to read from Philippians chapter 3 again. I, I spoke about this sort of the heart, what I believe God is saying to us for, for this year, definitely what God's stirring in my heart personally for the year, and I believe for us as a congregation. I spoke about that, I said, two weeks ago, and if you weren't able to, you can go to Facebook and watch the video, or go to our website and download the audio. And today I want us to just carry on around that theme and maybe unpack it just a little bit practically about how, what does it look like in a sense in our day-to-day lives. Reading from Philippians chapter 3. I once thought these things were valuable. And these things being that Paul is writing here about his entire Jewish heritage. About having everything that a Jewish young boy would want. At the end of last year, my daughter finished grade R. And then they have this little graduation ceremony as they finish and as they're about to go towards grade one, and they have every kid come up and say, what do they want to be when they grow up? What is it that they want? And it's interesting, and the community kind of where our kids stay in the Muat area there, I think 99.9% of the boys said that they want to be either army or police. Maybe that's a universal thing. I don't know. And all of the girls said they want to be a mom or a teacher. Except my girl who wants to be a professional ballerina. But, you know, that's just kind of how weird kids sometimes are. And the one girl who got up and she said she wants to be a mother and a doctor and, and, and. And kind of everyone just gave her a round of applause as well. But if this was sort of a Jewish little environment, a Jewish school, and they'd finished and they were about to go to their equivalent of grade one, they would have said, I want to be everything And the things that they mentioned there would be the things that in the previous verses Paul has said he was and he has. He was living, in a sense, the dream life for a young Jewish man who had grown up. And he was sort of fulfilling what every young Jewish boy would want to fulfill. And then he says, I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of thinking makes us right with himself. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And for this year, definitely for the next couple of months, I I really sense God is wanting us just to push into this thought a little bit. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him. There are a whole bunch of other things that we could be pursuing in our life. But imagine what your life would look like if you were just for one month, three months, six months, a year, a decade, however long it may be, see, just say, I want for this time period, I want to know Christ. I want to pursue knowing Him. I'm always amazed by who wrote this because this was written by the Apostle Paul who kind of, if we were to look back over Christian history, we might say the great Apostle Paul. We might say the one individual who has demonstrated what Christian life looks like, perhaps more than anybody else in the New Testament apart from Jesus. And he writes this towards the end of his life. He writes this as one of the last letters that he writes. Just a little bit later on in this letter, he says, I actually want to die now. Because I want to be with Jesus. And it's better for me to die. But it's better for you guys if I stay. Because if I stay, I can help you guys to grow in Christ. So I'm hard pressed between the two. And he's not suicidal. He's just 
an elderly man coming to the end of his life who realizes there is so much more to life than we have in this earth. That's where he's writing this letter from, and it's him who says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. He doesn't write, I already know Christ. He does. Perhaps as much as anybody that we know of in, in history that's been documented has known Christ. As a matter of fact, his, he carries on. And perhaps just before we carry on, it's important, I think, to remind ourselves that there's a difference between knowing of and knowing. There's a difference between the two. Most of us kind of, and that's, I guess, the celebrity thing, we know of the celebrities. Whether it be your favorite sports star or musician or pop artist, whatever it may be, film star, we, we know of them. But do we know them? Well, what is the difference? The difference is do I know what goes on in their hearts, in their innermost being? Do I know what they're thinking when they're sitting there being quiet? Do they know me? Would they recognize me if I come knocking on their door? Do I know them? What do I know of them? Such an important distinction we need to make. And it's so important when we're seeking to know God, we get to know Him for who He is and not for who we want Him to be. Tim Keller a while ago said this powerful statement. I so love that he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, what he's saying is you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. Some exalted version of yourself. A God who thinks like you think, acts like you act, wants what you want. A central tenet of the Christian faith is this thing we call repentance. The ability to change but repentance born from a realization that I need to change, that what I think is not always right, what I feel is not always right, what I'm drawn to is not always right, that there are desires and feelings and thoughts inside of me that in the eyes of the living God are not right. Maybe I'm drawn in an extreme sense to somebody who is already married. Maybe I'm drawn towards thievery or dishonesty. Maybe I'm drawn towards some form of carnality and we can either say, but that's just who I am and that's okay. Or we can say, what does God say? How does he frame what I'm experiencing? I need to repent. I need to change. That's what I'm feeling as genuine as that feeling is on the inside. It's still an illegitimate feeling. It's a real feeling, but it's an illegitimate feeling. It's not a feeling that I should be pursuing. As a matter of fact, it is something that I should be repenting, that I should be turning away from. And then when it comes to relationships, I think most of us are old enough to have realized this. Every relationship is a function of time. Every relationship is a function of time. If we want to know someone, if we want to grow in relationship with someone, if we want to know someone more, the only way we can do that is by investing time into the relationship. Time by itself isn't sufficient for a good relationship, but it is necessary for a good relationship. We cannot be growing in relationship without time. There's this little saying that says, absence makes the heart grow fonder. But only if that absence is for a short time. At some stage, that absence becomes too long, and then we don't grow fonder then perhaps, perhaps we do grow fonder of the ideal, but we don't grow fonder of the person because we're not growing to know the person. If my wife and I, for whatever reason, were to be forced to be separated for 10 years, the reality is in 10 years' time when we come back, our relationship is not going to be stronger because she's going to have grown and I'm going to have grown. We're going to have to reconnect and relearn who the other person is. Maybe if you go away for a week or a month, yes, then absence makes the heart grow fonder because when they come back, we appreciate it so much more. We don't know what we've got until it's gone. And when it's gone for a little bit of time, we realize that maybe some of the things we began to take for granted. But every relationship is a function of time. 
So here's the great apostle Paul who says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. I'm at the end of my life, and there's only one thing that I still want from my life. I want to know Jesus. And he gives a couple of ways in which he wants to know him, and we'll unpack those in, in later weeks. But look at the next verse which he says here. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. What are these things? Of knowing Jesus, of conforming to the image of his suffering. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. And if Paul hasn't, then me standing here today, I definitely have not. I'm not sharing this morning from a place of, I've got it all together. I know Jesus and you need to know Jesus. I'm sharing it from a little bit where Paul is, where I realize that I definitely don't know Jesus. I know him. But I don't know him. Just like Paul, I know him, but there's so much more that I get and I need to get to know him. And every one of us, I believe, are there. And I hope your heart is there. I want to know him. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. It's amazing for me. Paul comes to the end of his life and there's a singular focus that's sort of distilled out of everything that he's done. One thing that he wants to focus on. And what is it? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I want to press on. Something that in my time of working with people in, in ministry, you see a variety of different types of people in different circumstances and different situations. And one common denominator I found in successful people is they have the ability to move on. A common denominator with people who really struggle in life is an inability to move on. An ability to forget what lies behind. Yes, it happened. Yes, it was glorious or yes, it was disastrous, but it happened. It's in the past and I'm not going to get stuck there. I'm not going to get stuck in my history. And perhaps you're here this morning and you really need to trust God for an ability to set you free from the past. However beautiful or ugly it might have been. Sometimes we get stuck there. And here's the Apostle Paul. He says, one thing I do. Whatever happened in the past. And Paul's been through some stuff. He's had some amazing things happen by this stage of his ministry. He said, all of that stuff, what happened, I, I don't ignore it. Obviously, it's happened. I'm not denying any of it. But I'm not getting stuck in the past. I'm wanting to move forward. And what is the one thing I'm wanting to move forward in? I'm wanting to move forward in the context of this whole passage, in the context of this whole book, I'm wanting to move forward in knowing Jesus. I want to lay hold of that thing for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me for, some of our translations say. I want to press on. I want to press forward. I want to press on, as this translation says, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So for this morning, I want us to look specifically at two Psalms and read from them just a little bit something that perhaps would help you and me in our knowing God. The first one is a fantastic Psalm. We're not going to read the whole Psalm because it's really long and we'll be here till next week. Psalm 119. It's really easy to find because it's the one you always skip over because it's too long. So there's the pages that are uncrumpled in your book. You can turn to Psalm chapter 119, and it's an amazing, amazing psalm just from a literary point of view. And it's a little bit sad that you and I have to read it in English because we miss so much of the beauty of the psalm just from a literary point of view when we do that. Because it's an acrostic poem. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and this is broken up into 22 sections, 22 stanzas. Each stanza has eight verses. Each verse starts with the same letter of the alphabet in each stanza. So there are 22 sections. The first one, if it was English, it would be 26 sections, and it would be A. And the first eight verses all start with the letter A. The next eight verses all start with the letter B. The next eight verses all start with the letter C. And it's just a, a beautifully written poem, an acrostic poem. And yet it has one theme running through it. 
It's simply this, that we know Jesus by His Word. And it's so important that we understand that because if we're trying to know Jesus and get to know Him in any way removed from His Word, the chances are we are going to create and shape and form a God who is not the God of the Word. We are going to create a God who a little bit is an idealized version of ourselves. We're going to create a God who thinks like we think, who does what we want to have done. And that's why if we're wanting to know Jesus, the first place that we have to start is the Word. We have to start with what He has given us as a revelation of Himself. He writes in in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then verse 6, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there's this beautiful sort of synergy of sorts, this beautiful way in which God in Jesus and the Word of God are are one and the same, even though the one is the written Word of God, the one is the living Word of God. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Psalm 119, let's just read the, the first 16 verses. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all of their hearts. And as you read this whole psalm, you'll see this theme coming over and over again. Seeking for God, wanting to know God and the reality of His Word, the justness of His Word, the righteousness of His Word. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in His paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. The commands we read here are the commands, in kind of as David is writing here, he's writing about the Old Testament laws that he has. But the principle carries through as to the Word of God. All of the Word of God, these same principles carry through. And then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life to your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. In other words, how do I find you? By staying close to your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Those are the first two stanzas. And this theme carries on over and over and over. I want to perhaps read. I've got an unmarked Bible here, so I'm going to kind of see if I can find some of the passages just that echo that same theme over and over, also all through Psalm 119. Your laws please me. They give me wise, wise advice. I love this one in verse 29. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulation. I cling to your laws. I will, Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. I will speak, where are we now? Verse 46. I will speak to kings about your laws and I will not be ashamed. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate. I spend time dwelling and thinking about your decrees. Verse 54. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. And so he carries on and on and on. 
Verse 61, evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. I rinse at midnight to thank you for your just regulations. I am a friend to anyone who fears you. Anyone who obeys your commandments, O Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. I love this. Verse 69, arrogant people smear me with lies. But in truth, I obey your commandments with all my heart. Their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your instructions. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions, here's a quick test for all of our hearts. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Which one do we value more? Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. And meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. Let me be united with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. May I be blameless. You guys get the idea, carrying on and on and on. Verse 129, your laws are wonderful. No, lo- no wonder I obey them. The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. Verse 137, O Lord, you are righteous and your regulations are fair. Your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. And so he carries on and on and on. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws because you know everything I do. Maybe we should spend more time reading Psalm 119. What a powerful psalm just around the truth of the Word of God. It's interesting. He uses an interesting word in verse 15. It might still be up there. I will study your commandments. Practically, what does this mean for you and for me? It means that if we really want to know God, we have to be serious not only about reading the word, but about studying the word. We need time for both. The one is a little bit devotional, encouraging. I'm just reading the Word and I'm allowing it to feed me. But I really believe if we want to know Jesus, you and I need to make deliberate time. I said this last week as well. I believe life is best lived deliberately. Life is best lived when we're deliberate about the things that matter to us. And we should be deliberate about not only reading the Bible, but studying the Bible. There's a difference between the two. The one is I'm just reading it like I was reading it. Now, man, that's so encouraging to hear. The other one is let me slow down. Let me dig in a little bit. Let me ask, oh, let me read kind of the one verse, the one passage, the one pericope is the big word we use. The one section of scripture that I'm just, let me read it over and over and over. Let me find commentaries. Let me try and figure out just a little bit more than the superficial of what this is saying. What is this passage trying to say to me about who the person of God is? We can do that in a variety of different ways. We can try and do it ourselves. I I wouldn't advise it. I love our poor wife to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, you have been taught the Scriptures from a young age. We can read it ourselves, and we should read it ourselves, but we should also understand that we need teaching of the Word, breaking down. For that, you could use a good study devotional. There are many of them around. There are study Bibles around. There are many different sort of tools and resources. There's Bible school. I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, enroll into Bible school. It's got very much this at heart to help us to engage with the Word of God in more than just a reading, one-year reading plan. Let me read through the Bible in a year. That's fantastic. Do that. But we also need to slow down a little bit. I've got a pastor friend who's got a big church. I think they run about 11 services or something on a Sunday in Sunnyside, the AFM church there, Tom. And every year, he just felt God's led him to do this since 20 or 30 years ago when he started ministry. I was actually up seeing him in a week or two. I'm going to ask him an interesting question. I'll tell you what the question is now. He started, for argument's sake, I don't know, 1985. So he took Psalm 85 as their passage for the year. The next year, Psalm 86. The next year, Psalm 87. And so he's been carrying on every year. And it's just amazing how faithful God has been. And they've spent a long time, not only on that psalm, but sort of on just studying that passage together. This year is 2019. So he should be on Psalm 119 this year. So he's going to have a busy year. Probably spend a bit more time than normal on the psalm for the year. 
But imagine if we were to move away from reading the Bible in a year. There's nothing wrong with that. Do it. Just saying, I'm going to take this verse and I'm going to study just this one verse for the next month. Just dig into it and see everything that God might want to say to me about this one passage. Just understand it a little bit more than the superficial says. We have to learn to study the word if we really want to know God. His word comes in two forms. It comes in the written word, which is what we call the logos. I read John chapter 1 a little bit earlier or quoted it for you. In the beginning was the word, the logos. That's the sort of the Greek word for the written word that we have here. Can mean more than that, can mean message. But then there's another word which we use in the Greek, which is called the rhema. It's the living word. It's the breathed word, the inspired word. And we need to learn to live by both. As a matter of fact, we read Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus here is fasting. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. The devil comes to him, and the devil tempts him three times, and it's beautiful for me. Every single time, Jesus answers him with Scripture. And in this particular temptation, the temptation is, why don't you take the, bre- the rocks that are all around, because you're the Son of God, and turn them to bread? Because you can do that. It's sort of what the devil is tempting him with. He's tempting him to step into carnality. We don't have time to get into the sort of the whole reason for the temptations and what he was tempted with every time. But he was tempted also with kind of the denying of his flesh. Talking about fasting, just a reminder for those who were here last year and perhaps a news flash for those who are new. And part of our church, totally non-compulsory, but something that we love to do and we started kind of doing a little bit differently from last year is we like fasting at the beginning of the year. Fasting just means giving up of something, whether it be food, a specific type of food, social media, form of entertainment, whatever it is. And we want to invite you again. We're going to take February once again as a month of consecration. And I want to invite you to fast something for the month of February. Ideally, not everything. Maybe at least drink water. Or a Daniel fast. Or be a vegetarian for a month or only eat meat for a month. Whatever it is that you feel God is stirring you to give up for the month. It can be a food thing, a delicacy, a chocolate, coffee. Hey, there's one that you guys are going to love. Or whatever it is, just start praying about it and say, God, I want to just take a month and just surrender this year to you. We'll be doing that in February and it's going to work nicely because we're going to end on the family camp and we'll work in a three-day fast in there as well. But just a little bit of a, a heads up for you guys to start thinking about February. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. The enemy says, turn it into bread. And he says, no. And he quotes Deuteronomy. And he says, the scriptures say in Deuteronomy, people do not live, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We have to learn to hear and to discern God's voice when he speaks to us. But it is so important that whatever we hear, we are able to weigh against what he has written. Deception comes from heresy, comes from confusion, comes from us hearing the word and not weighing it against the written word. And then we run with what we think. And if you're anything like me, then you're very human and it's very easy for me to say and to think what I really want very desperately on the inside is what God is telling me. And it's easy to run after that. And if I don't have the ability, the discipline to stop back and to say, whoa, this thing which I hear, in inverted commas, the Spirit saying to me, the rhema word, how does that weigh up with the written word? Also, I can only do that if I know the written word. I can only do that if I've learned to study the written word. That's one of the reasons why we need to have people in our lives also who know the word and who know God and can help us inform. We can say, I think this is what God is saying to me. And they can say, no, that's not what God is saying to you. And you can be upset with them. And they say, you can be upset with me or you can upset with the Bible. But this is why I say God is not saying this to you. And we need to have those people in our lives who can say that. Or, yes, I really do think that is God saying that to you. Because here's with a scriptural theme that ties up with that, that encourages that. Be bold and courageous, it might be. We need to learn to, to weigh those two up. And there's a reason why I said the written word first, because we always have to bring 
the heard word, the perceived word, the rhema word, and a subjection to the logos. Otherwise, we start making up our own doctrines and our own themes, and we just get totally wacky and feeding people snakes and eating grass and drinking petrol and crazy things like that. Hebrews 10 tells us about the rhema. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. There's a faith, there's a knowledge of who God is, an ability to trust Him that comes from the Logos, from the hearing of God's Word in the situation in which we find ourselves. I want us to read from Psalm 27. I'll just quickly grab this. Psalm 27. And it's a psalm, if you will, of one who knows God. And as we read Psalm 27, I want us just to break down perhaps and don't want to make doctrine around this, but perhaps just break it down a little bit and just see are there there ways in here, clues which David is giving us as one who in a sense knows God in the same way that Paul, he knows him, but he knows he needs to know him more. It's not like he's completed it, but he knows God at this stage and we'll see that kind of in the introduction Are there some clues that we can draw from him, from his utterances here, from his life, that will help us to grow in God? He starts Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What is he saying? He's saying I've learned to know God. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. What is this that I will be confident in? That I know my God. I know who He is. He is strong and He is mighty and He will protect me, whatever may happen. I I know Him. I've come to know Him that way. He's one who knows God. And then he changes tune a little bit. And he writes a song we wrote this, sang this morning. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One of the ways in which we grow in knowing God is when we are caught up in wonder. Yaku spoke this, about this last week. When we're caught up in wonder, when we're awestruck, a word which we use so often, and it's just one of the challenges of sort of the way in which we speak at the moment in life. You know, if you've got a word that's really extreme and you use it for something that's not extreme, you sort of devalue the word and then it becomes hard to explain the extreme. And the word awesome is a little bit like that. My food is awesome, my bike is awesome, my car is awesome. My kids are awesome. The chair is awesome. My computer is awesome. My cell phone is awesome. My God is awesome. And suddenly we've created this disconnect in terms of our vocabulary that we have to our disposal and what we're trying to say. Because God truly is awesome. When we look at Him, we should be one in awe and wonder. We should be like, Wow, this is the most amazing thing in all of the known universe and creation and whatever else you want to describe. That is awesome. I am awestruck. And I'm caught up in wonder. I'm fascinated by him. I want to just behold him. I just want to look into him. I want to stare at him. I want to be kind of what he can do, what Hebrews 12 tells us to do. I want to look unto Jesus, and it's really not hard because he's really amazing. The author and the finisher of my faith. Caught up in awe, and there's something about us coming to know Christ when we're caught in the wonder of who he is. Something about loving his house. and be, oh, I love this. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I want to be caught in wonder. In the time of trouble, here once again, just He knows God. In the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon her rock. 
and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I think we grow in our knowledge of God in worship and in song. That's one of the reasons why we sing. That's one of the reasons why we have a time of collective worship like this every Sunday. And I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you to try your best to be on time for the time of song. I know it's hard. I know we've got kids. I know we struggle to get our kids to school at 7 o'clock in the morning on time. And it's really hard to get them there. And it's even harder to get them to church at half past nine. I know. We struggle. But there's something about us engaging with God in song and in worship that causes us to know Him. There's something about the way in which He engages with us. When we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. There's something beautiful about our time of worship that we can know Him in and through our worship. I strongly encourage you as well. Make sure you have time in your weekly rhythm to spend time in worship, to spend time in song. I don't sing very well. I told you the story. My youngest comes up to me and she looks at me and says, Papa, you sing lelak. Daddy, you sing bad. You sing ugly. My response to her always is, I don't care. Maybe I understand I'm not going to take a microphone and try and sing before people, but that's not going to stop me from singing to God because the instruction isn't sing a beautiful song to God. It's make a joyful noise, and I can do that. Be willing to sing. There's something about knowing God when we engage with Him through the medium of song. We know Him by keeping our eyes on Him. Yes, in wonder, but also just by watching who He is and what He does. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. There once again, he knows God. He knows God will protect him, but he also knows that he wants to watch God. He wants to have his eyes fixed upon him. He wants to be kind of drawn towards God with his eyes, watching what he's doing and how he is doing it. Another way in which we, we know God is through his ways. Teach me your way, O Lord. I love the implication there. Your way is not my way. Not God, I'm doing this, bless what I'm doing. No, God, show me your way that I may engage with that. And lead me in a smooth path, a level path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love how David connects God's ways to his goodness. Teach me your ways and what he's saying. I know your way is a good way. I'm asking you to show me your way and I would have lost heart if I had not believed that your way is a good way. And I will see your goodness in this land of the living. Not I will see your goodness one day when I'm dead in heaven and alive again in heaven. In this land, on this earth, in this life, I will see your goodness. I would have lost heart. From time to time, I pick up a newspaper, although that's probably the wrong way of saying it. From time to time, I open a news website. <laughs> and I look at what's going on in South Africa, in the world, whatever, and I would have lost heart. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in this land of the living. From time to time, people say, shouldn't we emigrate? Shouldn't we move? What, what? And obviously, God leaves it all differently. I'm not going to judge anyone who God leads to go. But when we leave out of fear, we've got three minutes quickly. I remember many years ago, I was in Australia at a, a big church conference and just enjoying it, having this amazing time. And sort of South Africa and Australians all around. And there in the bottom, I spot the Springbok rugby jersey. I'm like, hey, there's another South African, let me just go say hi. Isn't that weird how that works? You're in a different country and you go and seek. I can talk to South Africans all day when I'm here 
and I go to a different country and I go look for the South African. It's just weird how that happens. It's like when you're with family on holiday and they're sort of in the same area, you make extra effort to get together with the people that you see anyway. Okay, but anyway, so there's this guy in the bottom of this arena with the Springbok rugby jersey. I walk past him and I greet him. It's an Afrikaans conversation, but I'll translate it now. I say, hi, how are you doing? His first words to me, how long have you been out? I'm like, about three minutes, the session just ended. Let's see the camera. This is the page I'm at. I've gotten, he says, no, no. How long have you been out of South Africa? And I'm like, well, I've just come for the conference and I'm visiting some friends while I'm here in Sydney. And then I'm going back home. And suddenly it begins to just spill all this vitriol about our country. And I just kept quiet. I said, whatever, bless you. But what I actually wanted to do was get some scissors and just cut the Springbok jersey off of his back. But it's amazing. And then I realized something. Just, I realized why at that stage, most Australians really didn't like South Africans very much. Because all the South Africans with bad attitudes went to Australia and kind of, they think we all have bad attitudes because they get all the people who are full up with issues and rubbish go and live there. Some amazing friends, kind of the friends I went to go and visit, for example, they moved because there really was a career move. They felt God leading them to go there. They're doing incredible things for God involved with the church. They're in there and but a whole bunch of the people moved because we were running away from stuff. Neil said it earlier about our finances. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. John says that whatever is born of fear is not from God. Whatever is born of fear is not from God. I have no idea how I got Oh, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Yes, God might call some of us to move to different places. Go, God bless you. God prosper you as you go. But let's not lose heart wherever we are. Let's believe that the goodness of the Lord we will see in the land of the living. And then the last one, quite possibly the hardest one for us to go through in our learning God, learning about God, in our knowing God, in our growing in relationship with Him, Wait on the Lord. Wait. Be of good courage. I love how those two are tied in together. Wait and be of good. It takes courage to wait on God. It takes courage to not just run into the decision that I think is right. It takes courage to not make my own plan. It takes courage to wait on God. It takes a knowing God to wait on God, but it grows a knowing of God. When we do wait on God, when God says, wait, and you're like, God, I don't have time to wait. Maybe in the context that David's writing here, their arrows have started flying at me. I don't have time to wait. They want to eat my flesh. You guys read that a little bit earlier. <laughs> wait. God, you don't understand. Wait. I love how sometimes we want to say, God, you don't understand. And I'm thinking God's looking at us like I look at my three-year-old, four-year-old sometimes. I'm not the one who's not understanding in this situation. And I think sometimes God is exactly the same when he looks at us. He's like, Philip, I'm not the one who's not understanding. God, you don't understand what I'm going through. God, you don't understand the pain. God, you don't understand the worry. God, you know, Philip, I'm not the one who's not understanding. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say. On the Lord. Wait on God. There's something about the character of God, the person of God, the nature of God, we only learn in our waiting. There's this beautiful phrase that kind of we sing, and it's kind of a little bit of an oxymoron that we sing it, but it's be still and know that I am God. How do we know that He is God? Well, one of the ways in which we grow is by being still. Be still. Be still. Wait. But I've got a plan. I've got a scheme. I can fix this. Wait. Wait. Wait until God says now. Wait until God says go. Once heard someone said, you know, two-thirds of God is go. We're going to be going a lot when we're serving God, but sometimes God says no. And the only thing harder than a no from God is a not now from God. Wait. 
No, we can deal with it brings closure and we carry on. The not now, those are hard. But God, this is so from you. It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. God, you're in this. Not now. Not yet. It's like putting that sweet in front of my kid on the table. Not now. Rather put the sweet away and then give it to them when they can have it. The not now, we don't do well as humans with not now. We don't do well with wait. Wait, just wait. And yet there's something so beautiful. You'll notice it's the only thing that gets repeated in this whole psalm. Apart from God's goodness is wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on God. There's something about Him that we will learn when we learn to step back, take our foot off the accelerator, give Him the steering wheel, and wait. And wait. Just a couple of things we can highlight from Psalm 27. There's obviously His Word that we need to learn to know God by. That we get to know Him and we grow in knowledge of Him, in wonder, in, in worship, by watching, by viewing His ways, seeing His ways, knowing His ways, and in waiting. Can we stand together? I'd like for us to pray. Jesus, this morning we're just in a sense, again, encouraged and drawn towards awe of who you are, of your greatness, of the power of your love towards us, your goodness, or the vibrancy of your word, the way it just invigorates our souls and our spirits and how we can stand here today. And even if we don't always believe it, we can just confess that we would have lost heart unless we had believed that we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we choose to believe. We choose to hold on hope beyond hope in whatever circumstance we're in, that we will always see your goodness, Lord. And Jesus, I pray as we prayed a couple of weeks ago, as we prayed last week with Yaku, and we pray again this week that, Jesus, we want to know you. We want to know you, Lord God. We want to be caught in awe and in wonder. We don't want to have any other choice but to wake up in the morning and just say, wow because we've seen you again. Wow. You are worthy, Jesus, of every wow that's within our hearts. So much more than the wow from the movie or the wow from the sporting achievement, Lord, and the wow from the glamorous things of this earth. You are worthy of our wow. We want to hold you in wonder, Lord Jesus. We truly want to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And we know that as we worship, we will grow in knowing you. That as we choose just through song to draw near, that you draw near to us and you reveal yourself to us. We want to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. We want to watch you, Lord. We don't want our eyes to drift for one moment. We want to know your ways, which are perfect in every way. Teach us your ways that we may walk in them, Lord. And teach us our ways so we may know and understand you just that little bit better. And Jesus, give us the courage to wait when it is time to wait. To, to be able to wait on you and to see you do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we even want to repent for the times that we get involved. I just sense... Specifically, there's some of us here, we've been pushing a little bit. It's like you've been leaning on the accelerator. Just, God, this needs to happen. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. And Specifically, just this morning, God is saying to you again, just wait. Just wait. Don't be afraid to wait on the Lord. Jesus, would you give us the courage to wait on the Lord? This morning, if that's you, just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and God, just pressing on your heart that you just need to be deliberate about waiting. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond, not to me, but just to what God's stirring in your heart. Just there where you are, just between you and God. Don't you just want to raise your hand? It's just a practical way of just doing something. That this afternoon or this morning later on, you can, I made that decision. God's pressing on your heart to wait. Just raise your hand really quick. God, I'm hearing you. That's what you're saying. God, I'm hearing you. God, I'm putting up my hand because I'm asking for courage to wait. So God, I thank you for one, every one of these raised hands. 
Thank you that you're stirring in our heart. Thank you that you're faithful to speak to us, Lord. That you're not just going to leave us, but you come and you remind us of what you tell us. And I pray for every one of these hands that have been risen, just for the grace to be able to wait for your time and for your timing, God. Make them bold. Give them good courage, strong courage to wait in your time and in your season. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Philip, it's great. I so want to know Jesus, but I don't even know if I've met him. I've never had that first encounter where I'm a little bit awestruck and I realize that everything has changed. I want to know him and I want to grow in knowing him. How do I start? And if that's you this morning, I would so love to speak with you and to pray with you. So in just a moment when people start faltering out, you're welcome to step forward and we would love to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you want someone just to pray with you about what you're going through in your life, maybe about an application of something in the Word that we shared this morning. You're welcome to step forward. We really would love to pray with you. Don't go out carrying the burden that you came in with. Tennis and the team are going to continue to lead us in a time of song. And if you for a moment just want to worship or just want to sit and like David, dwell in His presence. Maybe not all the days of your life forever and ever in this context, but for just a few more moments this morning, you're welcome just to hang around and to dwell. When you do go, there is coffee and tea outside. You can hang around, have some coffee and tea. For those who are visiting, please do hang around. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. Maybe for those of us who are regulars, maybe let's be deliberate about meeting and greeting somebody who we wouldn't normally talk to while we're having coffee. And maybe just get to know somebody just a little bit better. We'll speak about this in coming weeks, but it's one of the most powerful ways in which we get to know God is by His witnesses, the people who know God. We see different aspects and elements of who He is. It's something that's so beautiful about church, about community. It's one of the reasons why we're not called to serve God alone, but we're called to serve God together in spiritual family. So if you do need to go You are more than welcome to go. If you need to stay, God bless you and just spend time in His presence. There's no rush that we need to leave at all. We don't have an evening service, so as long as Tennis' fingers hold, we can just continue to remain in, in God's presence. Thank you for your time this morning. Have a fantastic day and week. And do remember from next week, we will have evening services again. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.